to getting into 1 John. We're in chapter 4 this morning. I was um, thinking about how it is that we, um, we are here to be encouraged uh, to draw closer to the Lord and to behold His beauty, to look upon Him. And as we do so, what happens is the reality of God's grace and His love toward us causes everything else to diminish in, a, in power and uh, significance in our lives to the point to where He is above it all. And we just sung these words. We, we gave this praise to the Lord. We declared these things to be true, which they are. But are they true of us? And I, and I pray that through this morning, as we go through 1 John chapter 4, we're going to come to the conclusion of this chapter that we would, well, that we would know that, number one, we have salvation in Christ, and we are walking in humble confidence toward Him, keeping our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. Because at some point, as we sung... There will come difficult seasons in our lives. It's not, I wish I could tell you that it it may come. That it's possible. There's the the potential of you guys going through something that's difficult. That's beyond your comprehension. Wish I could tell you that. But I can't. In this world you will have tribulation. Tribulation. Take heart. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King, our hope has overcome. And so our trust and our strength and our hope lies in Him, in Him alone. And so this morning, the title of this morning's message is Confidence for the Day of Judgment. Confidence for the Day of Judgment. And my question, of course, is do do we have that confidence? Do you have that confidence for the Day of Judgment? And we're going to Learn what that looks like. And I pray that by the end of this morning, this message, before you exit those doors, that you truly have that confidence in the Lord. Because God wishes, He desires that none should perish, but that each and every person reach repentance. If you walk out unrepentant, unbroken before the Lord, it's because... You have not surrendered your life to Christ. You have not received His grace. And it's a choice that you will have made willingly. I pray that that not be so. But that each person yields to the salvation and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So confidence for the day of judgment. Let's begin by reading in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. John writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, 
Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, we, um, as we read those verses, Lord, we are once again encouraged by them, and at the same time challenged by them. Perhaps there is even the beginning stages, the beginning moments of conviction in our own hearts as we think about perhaps our interaction with others, with someone else. Lord, that we haven't done everything in our power to make sure that there is no hatred in our heart toward our brother or sister in Christ. That we may prove that not only we belong to you, oh Lord, that we also are pleasing to you. For without faith, without the expression of faith, it is impossible to please you. I also ask, Father, that you would give us that humble confidence for the day of judgment. That as that day comes, we know that our justification is known in Christ alone. That we, as you look upon us, Father, O oh Lord, we are covered by the blood of Christ. And because of the shedding of his blood, we have the forgiveness of our own sins. And Lord, we can live with gratitude and with great hope and with great confidence knowing that we belong to you. And one day we will be in all of your glory. And so, Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to understand what we have before us. Oh, Lord, the treasure that we have in your word. That we would live by it, be nourished by it, built up by it in that we would walk accordingly. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, there will come a day in which each and every one of us individually will have to give an account for ourselves. Your mom or your dad brother, sister, your spouse will not be with you. You will have to give an account for yourself before a holy and righteous God. In Romans 4.12, the Apostle Paul wrote, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is written, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, Comes judgment. And so the question for us this morning 
is do you have confidence that you possess eternal life? That is eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, knowing God's grace through Jesus Christ. And secondly, we have to follow up that question with a very important question. What gives you that confidence? It's not an arrogant confidence, and it's not a prideful confidence. It's a humble confidence. It's a sobering confidence. So we have to ask the question, what gives you that confidence? That's a question that is not asked often enough, that we are not confronted with often enough. Oh, it is a humbling question. Do you draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of your faith? In Hebrews chapter 10, if you would turn there, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. It is written, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Are you drawing near to God? Are, are, you, are you pressing into Him? Are you keeping your eyes fixed on Him or on other things? Are we in His Word? Is our strength drawn from Him? Is our hope in Him, in Him alone? Or are you found to be wavering in your faith? Oh, we can express that in so many different ways. The wavering of our faith, the doubt that overwhelms us, the anxiety that oppresses us, the worry that brings us into a place to where that's all we're thinking about are those things that are coming against us. Is that where we are? Because if so, then you're wavering in your faith. Brothers and sisters, that is not to be the kind of attitude that we have toward God because it expresses a faithlessness toward Him. I can't put it any other way. And I'm speaking to us. I'm included. 
God knows that there are so many things that we're faced with, so many difficulties, so many distractions here and there. The question is, is do you draw near to God or do you waver in your faith or do you hold fast all the more? Because it's in those times, even if we have to hold on to him and be dragged, doesn't we cling, we hold on to him, but we never let go. Is your salvation remaining tightly secured because you know that Jesus is faithful? We just read that in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, realizing that it is he who is faithful. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is... Come on, church. You guys good? We need us. Stand up. He's faithful, right? He's faithful. You need to, if you walk out of here not remembering anything else, please walk out of this building, in this gathering, knowing that he is, he is, he's faithful. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever doubt Do you have confidence for the day of judgment? Oh, there's a reason why we are commanded not to neglect the gathering of God's people, but rather encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the world will look at why, why do you have to go to church on Sunday, Wednesdays, and then you have Bible studies on Mondays or Tuesdays for the women? And, and then you have all these events and all these things, you know. So you're just drawn into the church. That's all you're doing. You're doing this. You're doing that. The, your family that is not walking with the Lord is not drawing near to him. Your friends, your coworkers, the world will not understand that. You will have people within your own household that will give you a hard time for going to church so much. Oh, just wait. Just wait. You think the days are dark now? <laughs> Buckle up. Hold on. Because this ain't nothing yet. Persecution is coming. It is on the horizon. And when we get to that moment... Are we going to be prepared? Are we going to be prepared as a church? Do we have confidence for the day of judgment? It's an indictment against the church if we're not. What evidence would you present today that would prove that you abide in Jesus? that you dwell in him and he in you? Is it because at one point you, you felt good and you said a prayer? You started going to church pretty regularly. 
gave up some sins that were obvious and have learned to tolerate others that you realize sin differently than you. Sometimes that begins to express itself in false piety. Or maybe it's because you serve in some capacity at church. Or because you are charitable, generous, perhaps a good parent. You're very helpful with others. Well, we know that none of those things are noted as ones to prove your salvation. And I'm afraid that there are many today that think they are saved, but have nothing that demonstrates that no, that they know salvation in Christ. There's no fruit. Oh, we would hope. But I cannot stand here and tell you that just because at one point you did these things that you're saved. I cannot do that in good conscience. If you have absolutely no fruit whatsoever. Because that may, may very well be the thing that leads you straight into hell with great confidence. I want to make sure. And I want to make sure because this is this is my heart aligning itself with God's heart. I want to make sure you know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, as you draw closer to the Lord and you know his word, you understand what he desires. He desires not that you would doubt, that you kind of have an idea of maybe I'm, I'm saved. I know that you would know. You would know that you belong to God and he belongs to you. Now one day you will see him in all of his glory. Not to judge you for your sins, but that through Christ his son, he's already judged those sins. And he will simply have you come into his very presence for all eternity. You know, last week we learned what genuine agape love is and how the person who has been born again of the spirit will love others as he, as the Lord has loved us demonstrating through that that we love God and know Him. And I understand, I know that this is only possible when we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And at the same time, as Ray had prayed, that we are continuously walking with Him, abiding in Him, continuing to submit to and bearing patiently through tribulations, knowing that Jesus is faithful and trustworthy, and knowing that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, for you and I, according to Hebrews 7.25. Isn't it wonderful that we can walk with confidence? A humble confidence before the Lord. Oh, he's able to save to the uttermost. Those who are in Christ Jesus, that the, the, the time that we're walking with him at the same time, knowing that we're going to stumble along the way. 
he's making intercession before the Father on our behalf. That should be even more humbling to us, shouldn't it? Oh, what love the Lord has for us. You know, twice, John brings certain sections of, that we have before us in chapter 4, brings them together by saying, by this we know, in verse 13, and again, in verse 17, by this is love perfected, pointing to the previous verses and connecting them to the ones that follow. That we may know, having observable facts and events in our lives, in other words, fruit that is visible, that show that we have a genuine salvific relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that his love has been demonstrated both in our lives toward God and toward others. And I pray that you may have confidence for the day of judgment. That you know that when that day comes, that your hope in Christ is genuine and your salvation is sure. And is, it's not just wishful thinking. If someone were to ask you, are you saved? And what does that mean? And how do you know that you're able to answer? You can give testimony to your salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That you are immovable in the word of God, confident in him. Do you abide in Christ and is your love perfected in Christ? These are both key to knowing that we possess eternal life. So again, let's Look at verse 13. Do you abide in Christ? It says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And again, the question that is going to be repeated time and time again is how do you know that you abide in Christ? You can say you abide in Christ, but how do you know that you abide in Christ and that he abides in you? Well, first of all, what we see here says by this, we know that we abide in, in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We know beyond a shadow of doubt he's given us of his spirit. In John chapter 16, in verse 7, it says, <clears throat> Nevertheless, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, 
because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is a wonderful work of the Spirit. And if you are experiencing these things in, in your own life, in your own heart, that, he, that means that he is alive and well in you. Is if there's no sense, if there's no, there's nothing there, there's no conviction. I would say you need to be desperately asking that he would bring you conviction. Perhaps you have rejected him too long and your conscience is in danger of being seared and not feeling, not knowing, not being able to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit any longer. If you've sat in church week in and week out, over and over and over again, and there, there's, there's nothing that happens within you, there's something wrong. I need to tell you there's something wrong. Please listen closely. There are too many people who do that very thing. sit in church, listen and are no different for it. You are in danger. Pride has filled your heart. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, these you will not despise. But pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before a fall. Listen closely, church, please. This is the work of the Spirit. He convicts of sin, guides in truth, glorifies Jesus, the Son of the Father, gives understanding to God's Word, and He seals us for the day of redemption. He's our guarantee. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In fact, it is God's Spirit that gives us confidence of our salvation in Christ. Romans 8.16 saying, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. John goes on from there and he testifies of three essential truths about Jesus. 
He goes on to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in him in love, whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. He testifies of three essential truths about Jesus. Number one, the Father sent him. The Father sent the Son. Secondly, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Notice, I know we are the bride of Christ. But his blood is sufficient for the world. It's offered. Number three, salvation belongs to God in Christ. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that... that, That means that he yields to the lordship and the salvation of Jesus Christ. You cannot say that he is your Lord and and deny his commands. You cannot possibly do that. Try that with a sovereign king here on earth, with a monarchy. I believe you are the king. You are commanded to do this then. Oh, but not that, Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good news, isn't it? That is wonderful news. Therefore, we have come to know the love that God has for us. And how he demonstrated it to us through his son. Not necessarily for what he's doing for us now. But in the past tense. What he did for us in the past. For God so loved the world. God demonstrated his love for us. Something. If we don't get that right then it doesn't matter the overall general grace that we have come to know today. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh, to confess this out of the the very depths of your heart. A true and genuine repentance with your entire being is to agree with God about who Jesus is and in fact agreeing with him, yielding to him, knowing that this is what God demands of you to know salvation. To know God is to know truth and walk in it 
And our love for the brethren is evidence that God has been given full possession of our lives. They don't belong to us. We acknowledge they belong to the Lord. And so we walk according to his word, according to his commandments. Toward him and toward others. Giving him full possession of our lives. And it is only by the power of his Holy Spirit that we live for his glory. Loving him and esteeming others more than ourselves. I can't do it. It's a process. You don't know what they've done to me. Repent. It's the only word I can share with you. The only fix is repent. Repent. Now, not, not later. If you call on him as Lord, he is Lord over all. Even in this moment, we desire to bring him glory. I pray that he break your heart. To the point to where it's unbearable. Because it's in that moment that we yield to his authority, his governance of our very lives, that we prove that we love him. That we're willing to do anything for him. Even allow ourselves to be humiliated, humbled. You know, it's good for us to be humbled every now and then just to be brought down a notch or ten. It is. Not to make us more prideful because we remain in ourselves and we're obstinate, but oh, there's a beautiful softness and gentleness that is seen in the child of God who's willing to humble themselves before the Lord and do whatever it takes to bring him glory. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, I appeal, I beseech you, I beg of you, I implore you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because we know that God has given us a Holy Spirit as we have confessed Jesus being the Son of God, and He is our Savior and Lord. Oh, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us and therefore enjoy his love and abide in him as he abides in us. Oh, you know that we are supposed to enjoy the Lord? We are supposed to enjoy his presence and enjoy who he is in our lives. But as we do so, it's a humbling confidence knowing that we belong to him. The psalmist, in fact, in Psalm 8, in verse 3, said, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the pass of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, it always comes back to the Lord. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Notice that even when David acknowledges that God acknowledges man, that the one who is glorified is God and not man, because God is the one who is great and majestic alone. Alone. And this is the love that the Christian is engulfed with and in, immersed. Completely engaged in God's love and their love for him and others. Do we abide in this way? And does he abide in us in this way? Completely immersed in his grace and love. How then should we respond to this kind of love? Well, it says it very clearly. Verse 17, as we have read and will reread again here by this, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also Love his brother. What kind of confidence do you have of God's love for you? Well, it needs to be perfected or matured in Christ toward others as well. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, this is the type of confidence that we ought to have in the Lord of his love toward us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I love those verses. I mean, we could yell at the top of our lungs, right? Amen. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. Well, the confidence that we ought to have in the love of God toward us. We ought to listen to the confidence that Paul has in Christ. Talk about a man who is humbled. He was humbled on the road to Damascus by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he took it willingly. He, he regarded himself as the chief of all sinners. the filth of the world, the foolishness, 
foolishness that confounds the wise. And he surrendered his life to Christ in such a way that he was even willing to go through tribulation, whatever it took, to fulfill the plan and the purpose that God had for him. He also demonstrated this love for his brethren, desiring that they too may have that confidence in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Again, esteeming others more than ourselves. The Apostle Paul expressing that love toward others, even at his expense. He was saying, it's for your benefit. I understand that. What a love. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Beyond our circumstances, beyond our sufferings, beyond our tribulations. What are you focusing on? Because to know God's love is not to fear, number one, eternal condemnation, but also we may lose out on something. Remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We ought to give up so that we may gain. But rather having confidence in Christ, we come to know his love for us and we come to know his salvation. Do you have fear of judgment? Are you sure? You don't have fear. Because if you have fear of judgment, God's love has not been perfected in you. Because his perfect love as we read here in 1 John chapter 4, casts out all fear because you know that your sins have been completely atoned for, paid for. There's no doubt. There's no question. You know that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This, in turn, causes us to know, number one, the love of God. Number two, 
that our expression of our love toward him and toward others proves that we belong to him. First of all, we first love God because he first loved us. We don't love him first. We don't even know love until we realize that he loved us first. Secondly, we love others because this glorifies the one who first loved us and ransomed us with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ from eternal damnation. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, There is no exception to this rule. If a man loves not God, neither is he born of God. Show me a fire without heat, then show me regeneration that does not produce love to God. Close quote. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, God does not afford anyone the luxury of loving God in secret than hating our brothers or sisters. Nor does he just afford us the luxury of saying we're, we're Christians and no one else needs to know. I'll just... I'll lead a good life. No, it must be openly confessing him before others. We, we must always be ready to provide a reason for the hope that lies within us. It must be openly, without reservation or compromise, and it must be expressed unashamedly. Matthew 10, 37 says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, the, the word of God, oh, it, 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 it slices, it cuts deep to the very core of who we are. It challenges us. It confronts us. If you're asking father, mother, brother, sister daughter, son, for permission to love God and serve him? Guess who you're putting before the Lord? You're asking for permission? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I ask no, one, no one's permission. Why? Because they're not my God. My God is Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. But he also commands us to love. And now, we defined love. We've already gone through this. Love is not, what does Elizabeth Elliot call it? Mamby, pansy, kind of emotional, mushy love. Compromising love. Sweeping a, sin under the rug, kind of a love, looking the other way, kind of a love. That's not what love is. We've already defined it. We already know that love does confront, right? It doesn't look the other way as far as sin is concerned. In fact, the father confronted sin by sending his son to die on the cross for us to judge our sin. So we show this agape love toward each other. Pure love, a heavenly love, a biblical love. So therefore, if anyone says he loves God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. This is God's statement of truth. Not anyone else's. And it's not up for debate. 
The question is, how can we show that we hate our brother? Well, we can show, we can show that in many different ways. In fact, we're very, um, we're very imaginative in how we can do that. Very creative. By refusing to do what God's word says we are to do regarding reconciliation and remaining instead in a state of hatred, bitterness, jealousy, envy, resentment toward our brothers, holding that in. Well, again, if, if he's our Lord, then at the very moment that we realize that we are bringing the gift to the altar, we realize, oh, my brother has ought against me. Or I have this unresolved conflict with someone else. Lay it down at the altar. Go make things right with them. And then come back and offer it. Otherwise, we're considering ourselves above God's glory. God's people would do well to consider him above ourselves in all matters. Yielding to the governance and authority of his word in everything that pertains to life and godliness. Can you say that you have done everything you can to obediently do what God requires of you toward others? And you have submitted to the authority of God's word in those matters. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, with all people. Listen, I'm not talking about if you go and try and reconcile and the other person is not accepting, does not receive it. By all means, it, you at that point, you can do nothing more except for pray for the other person. Show grace. And go about your father's business. Just keep going. You don't have to agree to what is not right just to appease the situation. But you do have to make every attempt to agree with God together with him in these matters. Many people will say, I love God, but I, I don't love people. Do you, have you seen people? Have you been around people? Have you? How can you love people? They're awful. You cannot say, and some people say, I love God, but I, I just, I don't love people. That's a false statement. You can't do that. Well, I love God, but won't go to church with a bunch of, you already, you already know what the next word is, right? Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. Every single one of you. Hypocrites, hypocrite, hypocrite. You're sitting next to hypocrites. Listen, we're all faulty. Uh, where do people that are in need of attention, um, as far as their health is concerned, where do they go? Can you imagine people in a hospital saying, I don't go to the hospital because there's a bunch of sick people there. Yeah, it's exactly where they need to be. Being attended to. The hypocrite is the one who says he loves God and yet refuses to love God by obeying sacrificially, yielding to his authority, following his commandments obediently. You see, church, it's time to grow up. It's time to put your big boy pants on. Big girl pants on. <laughs> Proving our love for God 
having confidence for the day of judgment, knowing that you belong to God and know salvation in Jesus Christ, because as it says, and we'll go over it next Sunday, chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Are you abiding in God's love and is your love perfected in Christ? I pray. I pray that it is. I pray that you do have confidence in the Lord. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Now remember, we never make ourselves love Christ more by flogging ourselves for not loving him more. We come to love those better whom we love by knowing them better. If you want to love Christ more, think more of him. Think more of what you have received from him. Close quote. Press into him. Read his word. Pray. Trust in him. Cling to him. And as you know his love and his love is mature in you, maturing in you, then you too will have confidence for the day of judgment. My prayer is that you have it today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word is life. Oh, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not, it has not surrendered completely to the lordship of Jesus Christ, knowing his salvation and his sovereignty in their lives, Lord, that today be the day of salvation. Today they completely yield, confessing with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, knowing that there is salvation in no one else, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ that today, this very moment, is not wasted, it's, it's not dismissed, Lord, but at this moment, there would be just a, a sweet surrender to you, Jesus, for your salvation. And having confidence for the day of judgment that our sin has already been judged. And we may step right into your glory. And so, Father, strengthen your church, purify your church. Help us to mature in our love for you, in our love for each other. In Jesus' name we pray.